mercy and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be seated. I assume someone is here for Jesus Storybook time. Michelle is here. That Michelle is someone. Um, some young people are here with us. Young kids invited to go downstairs with Michelle for an age-appropriate lesson, and we will see you a little bit later in the service. Good morning again to you. Glad to be here with you. Uh, thanks for your presence here. We talked in Bible study about the importance of gathering together, that because of the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus, we have confidence to come before Him without fear and without guilt, but we have also the invitation to gather together uh, in worship, to gather together with other believers, and the assurance that He is there each time we do that. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of that. Since it's approximately 115 degrees outside always now, um, I'll see if we can cool you down just a little, at least in your head. We'll talk to you about a Christmas movie. Remember Christmas? And the movie that, I, that I've been thinking about this week is the movie Elf. How many have seen the movie Elf? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, and there's a scene in, in Elf. I think this is an Elf. I might be wrong. Um, if I am, correct me, please. Where, where the, the young boy in, in the movie um, comes across Santa's sleigh stuck in Central Park. Is this, this is the right movie? Yeah, thank you. Uh, and and it, it's stuck in Central Park. It can't get going. Why? Do you remember? Well, the engine's burned out, right? The engine's burned up. And why, Jacob, does it need an engine? Uh, because people don't believe anymore, so the magic doesn't make that's right. So the young boy, when he finds out that Santa's sleigh is powered by, by an engine, some sort of rocket engine, he expresses surprise about that. It turns out uh, that it hasn't flown magically for, for uh, quite some time, for many years, because, as Jacob is telling us, there's not enough people believing to make the magic work. Apparently, Santa's sleigh is powered by belief, powered by believing, and when not enough people believe, the sleigh can't go. And that's obviously a funny child's movie, right? Well, we're adults, it's for us too. Um, it's a funny movie, but have you ever wondered if, if maybe God's blessing, God's provision works the same way? Not powered by an engine, but powered by belief. Jesus says something in our reading today that I think uh, might touch a nerve for some of us. And I think that because I hear a lot of you uh, talk about it, and pray about it, and even some who aren't yet here give it as their reason for not being here. The line that I'm thinking of, the thing that Jesus says is, uh, you of little faith, why do you have so little faith? And we, many of us worry about that, that our faith is too little, that it's too weak, or we don't have enough of it. Not enough to power the sleigh. Not enough to, to make things happen. That God's magic won't be able to work because we don't believe hard enough. And I'm not trying to belittle anyone and make fun of anybody. I have so much respect for all of you and, and the way that you live your lives and the struggles that you overcome. 
hearing about it and, and, and walking through those with you in small ways is, is the, the great privilege of my, my presence here among you. So I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But sometimes in the midst of those, as we're walking through those struggles that you all face, and sometimes in the midst of that I hear you say things like, I need more faith, or stronger faith. And it makes me sad. So I want to, I want to address that, especially since Jesus calls it out in our, in our reading, right? Jesus is talking to worriers, to people who worry, which is all of us to some extent, right? And he connects it with, with little faith. That the things that we worry about when we worry, and then we end up worrying about our worrying, right? Why don't I have enough faith? Why am I worrying? Because my faith is no good, and then we're all wrapped up in that. For some of us, the things that Jesus is listing here, food and, and clothes and house, and how we'll pay the bills and make ends meet, for sometimes that's what we're worrying about, some of us. Maybe it's something a little bit different, how to get ahead in your career, get into the field that you really want to be in. We all do this, one way or another, this worrying. It's so, so widespread, actually, this worry, that the entire church, at least the ones who follow the same lectionary, the same reading plan that we use, the entire church is spending two weeks talking about this, reading about this. See, this passage from Luke 12 that we just read, this passage that begins with, therefore, that's why I'm telling you, Jesus says. It follows the one that we read last week about the barns and the storehouses, all that other kind of stuff that we might put our trust in, uh, that will disappear in that moment when we're standing before God, and how you can only stand on His foundation, the one uh, that He gives you as solidly and without fail in your baptism. Now, therefore, since it, it can, all the other stuff can and will be taken away, don't be anxious, Jesus says, about your, your clothes, about your food, about stuff. But more than, more than just stuff now. Now we're talking about the things you need for daily life. It's a little harder, I think, to be not anxious about those things. Especially if you, if you don't have them, or if you struggle to keep having them. It's hard to be not anxious. When I, was, when I was studying this word anxious that Jesus is using here, I found something interesting. See if it resonates with you. In a few cases, the same word here actually is used to mean care and concern. Care and concern. And I think that makes a lot of sense, because... Here's what I was thinking through as I, as I recognized that. The, the root of anxiety is always care and concern, right? Just too much of it. Gone to extremes, out of control. Some of you know that quite well because your anxiety is that way. The care and the concern that, that never gets turned off, that won't leave you alone, that you can't quite put down, and then it grows and it grows, and and it gnaws at you in the back of your head. Some of you know this, this, this progression, right, from genuine care and, and reasonable care to something that's 
out of control. Now, all of it is based in something valid, something worthwhile, but yeah, sort of too far out of control. And it might not level, rise to that level for all of us, but even if it doesn't, we all spend a fair amount of time worrying about one thing or another. So that's the first thing to know if you're, if you're spending a lot of time worrying, being anxious. First thing, you're not alone. More to the point, you're not different than everyone else. It's just part of this worry, this anxiousness, even sometimes growing uh, out of our control. It's just part of the, the broken condition that we inherited when, when sin came into the picture, the one that, that, that's plagued us all with this worry. We see it even in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning, right, with Adam and Eve. At first, it says they're naked and they feel no shame. They have nothing to worry about. And then sin comes in the picture. And what's the very first thing it says? We were afraid, so we hid. When sin comes, worry comes. So if you're worried, if you're anxious, if you're having a hard time dealing with what's going on, in your life, it doesn't mean you're defective. It doesn't mean your faith is worse than everybody else's or smaller than everybody else's or you're not as good at this as everybody else. It just means you're stuck with the same effects of sin that we all are. You are not alone in this. So relax. Cut yourself some slack. Be kind to yourself in this. When you worry, there's no need to worry about that. In other words, you don't have to worry about your worrying. That's hard. That's hard. There's no need to worry about your worrying. Just, just turn it over to Jesus. Sometimes, by the way, I use that exact language. Being very concrete here, just turn it over to Jesus. Jesus, I give this to you. And then remember, remember that, that he comes for weakness just like this one. And he covers it with his blood. So if you're, if you're really weak right now in your faith because something's got you worried, remember, fine. Jesus comes for weakness just like yours. We could debate whether it is, but, but Jesus comes for weaknesses just like that and he covers it with his blood so you have nothing to worry about. Then, turn to these words. Turn it over to Jesus. Remember, his sacrifice covers that exact weakness. Then, turn to these words. Words specifically directed to you, you of little faith. This is, this is where it gets really exciting for me, so hang with me. Specifically directed to you of little faith. So if you feel in that moment, or in any moment, in this moment even, that your faith is weak, that you have not enough of it, that it's too little, well then these words are for you. So let's look at them. First, Jesus says, he says a couple of things that I want to I pull apart. First when he says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They don't have any, any storehouses or barns, and, and yet your Heavenly Father provides the food that they need. And ravens is an interesting choice here. We know what ravens eat, right? What do they eat? Say it, Earl. 
Meat carcasses. A carcass is a dead thing, right? A dead meat they eat. We know that they turn up in places where dead things are. And they get real dirty eating rotten flesh. We know that about ravens. Jewish listeners would have had even an additional thought about ravens. Another idea. uh, in, In Jewish legends, the raven first was white, but turned black when it failed to come back after Noah sent it out to see if the flood had subsided. So we hear that story, know that story from, from Noah, or from the, the, the flood story when, Je- when Jesus, when Noah sends out of the ark a, a dove to see if the, the water is, has subsided. There's a Jewish legend that says the raven used to be that bird, it used to be white, and then it turned black when it failed to come back. In other words, when it failed to follow the plan. So the raven is the symbol for Jewish thinkers of the one who wandered off. The one who didn't do what he should have done. So if you know that you've wandered away, if you know that you haven't kept the plan, if you've been in some deathly places and and you're feeling a little dirty for it, and you say to yourself, there's no way God's blessing can be for me, or maybe you have a friend or a neighbor who thinks this way, right? They might appreciate hearing this. The promise, the assurance here, even ravens get God's care. Even the wanderers and the dirty ones get God's care. Even the smallest creatures are important and valuable to Him. The ones that seem worthless and unworthy and not good for much are worth protecting and providing for. Then He doubles down on it. Look at the grass of the field. It says flowers here. Other translations you might read in your Bible at home says the grass of the field. Here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow. <laughs> Which, by the way, is another signal. Jesus was signaling something for the hearers by talking about ravens. He's signaling something else here by talking about grass of the field. It's a reference, I think, I, I believe this is true, a reference to Isaiah chapter 40. And you'll recognize Isaiah chapter 40 because we read it um, the Sunday before, or during our Advent season when we're talking about John the Baptist and preparing the way for Jesus, we read this reading. Let's take another look at it here. Isaiah 40, beginning with verse 6. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? The answer is, say this, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah chapter 40, the people are like grass. All flesh is grass. He's talking about us. Jesus is talking about us. When he says the the grass of the field, he's referencing this and talking about us. The grass of the field, which is you and me, gets treated like a king. Right? Not even Solomon was clothed as good as God clothes the grass of the field. The grass of the field gets treated like a king, an impressive, abundant, overflowing provision by by God, and you are the grass of the field. So all of this is yours. Impressive, abundant, overflowing love love and concern for you and your needs. And And finally, here's what I really love about this. 
How much more will he clothe you? How much more will he, will he not do all of this for you? Will he not shower upon you the riches of his love? Oh, you of little faith. It's specifically addressed, this promise is specifically addressed to the ones who have little faith. It doesn't say, unless you have little faith, God will give you his promises, he'll shower his love, unless you have little faith. It specifically says, if you have little faith. It doesn't say, if you have little faith, I'm not talking to you, or this doesn't apply to you. Jesus is specifically talking to, specifically directing this promise at the ones who have little faith. The promise here is especially given, especially for the ones who are weak and wavering and unsure, for whom doubt is creeping in right now, who are weighed down and slogging through the the, the mental mud of, of stress and worry and anxiety. So if that's you, if that's you, take great comfort in this. If you're a worrier, and you've been tricked by the devil or, or, or trained by church people to think that, that worry is a problem, that worry is a character flaw, if you believe you have little faith, hear this. Rest in it. Literally wrote this. Write it on your bathroom mirror. How much more will he not bless you, you of little faith? And I, so I assert to you, that that tag on the end, you of little faith, is not a, not a condemnation. Sometimes we hear it that way, right? You have you, you of little faith. We use it that way. I assert to you that Jesus is not doing a condemnation here. He's not condemning you. Isaiah says this, the bruised reed he will not break, right? Jesus doesn't beat down hurt people. If you hear nothing else, hear that from today. Jesus doesn't beat down hurt people. So these words, you have little faith, it's not a condemnation. It is an assurance for you. You little faith person, God will bless you. You're in a moment of worry right now. Now you're worried about the worry, and you're thinking that makes your faith little, right? We've all been down that path. We worry, we worry about worrying, we worry about what that means for our faith. Fine. You think your faith is a little fine. If you have only a little bit of faith right now, if you have doubts at this moment, if you're walking through a season in life that's testing and straining everything you thought you knew, so be it. That doesn't change one single thing about God's love for you or the promise that he made you. Or the plan to make all broken things right again, including for you. None of it changes because your faith is little. It's not like Santa's sleigh, right, that needs your belief to make it go. That needs belief in sufficient quantities or it's never going to get off the ground. God's promise doesn't work that way. He still can and he still will meet every one of your needs. He still can and he still will set you up safe and secure. And so if you have little faith, fine. Jesus is speaking to you. And God's promises remain yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Take 30 seconds, if you would, reflect on that. From what you've heard, what's, what's Jesus asking you or inviting you to believe or, or think or do differently this week?